0: So Exodus chapter 17, we'll start at verse 8 and uh, continue to the end. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. That I will utterly blot out, blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is My Banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, I surprised Stephanie by taking her on a trip to uh, the Corning Museum of Glass for her birthday. And uh, while we were there, I signed up for a couple of special like workshops. And for the one, we were going to make a pumpkin, a glass pumpkin. And so we went there, and it was actually a lot of fun. And, but we didn't really make the pumpkin so much. It's just kind of we watched them make it. The extent of what we did was we went there, and they asked, so what colors do you want? You can pick one color. You can pick two colors. What colors do you want? So we picked the colors, and then they went through all the work of heating up the glass, of molding it, and then rolling it, and then they told us at the right moment, okay, now blow up the pumpkin, and we did that, and that was it. We had made the pumpkin. But really, they had done all the work. They were experts in it, and what was cool about it was at the end, we had a really nice-looking pumpkin because they were craftsmen, and they had made it themselves. We just got to pick the colors, basically. And I think in a similar way, often when we pray to God, we want God to do stuff for us. We pray, God, I need some money, I need some help paying the bills. And then sometimes God answers that in a miraculous way. And sometimes, you know, maybe it's our tax return is bigger than we thought it was going to be. Maybe God provides in some other miraculous way. Uh, Or we're praying uh, for other things. We're praying for a friend or relative who doesn't know Jesus and then one day we just notice that they're listening to Christian radio or they just out of the blue ask us about going to church. We pray for somebody who has a specific need that maybe they're struggling financially and then we find out that God has provided them with a new job or provided for them in some other way. We're feeling sick and we pray for healing and then one day we just wake up and we just feel a lot better. We pray for the victims of injustice, for the victims of slavery. And then we find out that there's new organizations that are being uh, created to help free people from slavery. Sometimes God does that. Sometimes God fights for us. He works on our behalf. He, we just kind of have to just wait. And God acts on our behalf. similar thing happened to the Israelites as they were fleeing from Egypt. We first see that God is gracious and gentle to the Israelites in Exodus 13 verse 17. It says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, Lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led them away from warfare initially because He doesn't want them to kind of get freaked out and want to return back to Egypt. And then after that, the Egyptians are pursuing after them and they're, the, the Egyptians kind of have them boxed in where the Israelites are, have the Red Sea on one side and the Egyptians on the other and they're crying out, God, what are we going to do? They're going to kill us. We should have just stayed in Egypt. And then Moses speaks to the people and he says something pretty interesting. He says, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. He says, the Lord will fight for you, and you only have only to be silent. He says, the Lord will fight for you, you only have to be silent. So they have to just wait and see the salvation of the Lord. And we see that God does that. He delivers the Israelites from the hand of the Egyptians. The Egyptians go into the Red Sea, and the water comes upon them, and they are utterly destroyed. And all they have to do is sit there and wait for God to act. And then after that, they're encouraged and strengthened. And they sing to the Lord about what he's done on their behalf. And then we see that as they're in the wilderness, God provides for them. He provides water for them first. where He turns the water that was bitter into water that was sweet. He provides quail for them and manna for them to eat. And then water from a rock. And so all they have to do in this situation is just kind of wait for God to provide for them. But then there's another situation. Now, there's another situation that I had when I went to that museum of glass. I had just finished uh, making those pumpkins, and, or basically watching them being made. And then we were supposed to do something called sandblasting. And for the sandblasting, they took, and showed us some glasses, and they're like, which glass do you want? So we picked one out. And then they took hundreds and hundreds of stickers, placed them before us, and they're like, okay, make something you like. We're like, oh. What, what do we make? Well, like, what, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to do this? What design are we supposed to do? Well, whatever you want, just, just make something, and then we'll show you how to bl- sandblast it afterwards. And we're sitting there, and like, why, why can't they just do it for us, show us how to do it? And finally, we're just putting these stickers on there, like, this seems too much like work. I mean, why did we sign up to do this? And in a similar way, I think something happens to the Israelites as they face another test. The Amalek is coming to attack them and to fight against them. We don't know exactly why they're coming to attack Israel, but we know that the aggression is on the part of the Amalekites. Israel isn't looking for a fight. We get kind of a clue in Deuteronomy chapter 5 where it says, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt, how we attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary. And cut off your tail, those who were lagging behind you. And he did not fear God. So the Amalekites see Israel that they're kind of weak and weary coming out of Egypt. They don't have a lot of resources. And they decide they're going to pounce on that. Now remember back to the Song of the Sea where Moses and the Israelites sang to the Lord. And they described how the nations around them feared the Lord because of what he had done to the Egyptians. How they were trembling because of what God had done to them. Apparently that didn't apply to the Amalekites because they did not fear God. They did not worry about the repercussions of what would happen if they attacked the Israelites. And so they go out boldly to attack Israel. And so the question is, how is Israel going to respond to this? How is Israel going to fight this battle? Are they just going to wait, stay silent like they did before? This time it's going to be different. This time they're going to have to act. Moses tells Joshua, prepare the men to fight against the Amalekites. This is not a battle that they'll simply be still and watch. It's a battle that they must participate in. And what this shows us is that God not only wants to fight for us, but he also wants to fight with us. He not only wants to fight for us on our behalf, but he wants to fight with us. See, God doesn't need us. He could have just wiped out the Amalekites with the word of his mouth, just like he had done to the Egyptians. But he chose to use the Israelites to have them be a part of the plan. Initially, he strengthened their faith by just doing it for them, just speaking the word, having the water close upon them. But now they're going to have to participate. Now they're going to be a part of what God is doing. God acts kind of like a good parent might act. You know, when a child is is very small, basically you have to do everything for them. But as they get older, you allow them to participate in certain things that you're doing. Uh, Maybe it means uh, letting them vacuum the carpet, even if it means a few crumbs being left behind. Maybe it means allowing them to weed the garden, even though they might miss a few. Maybe it means allowing them to help you cook dinner, even though you might be able to cook it a lot faster yourself. That's what God, good parents do, and that's what God does. He allows us to participate in what He's doing. And so sometimes we say, God right, really needs some help with money, with paying the bills, and God is like, okay, why don't we start looking for a job? Or we're sick, we're praying for healing, and God is like, okay, why don't you call up the doctor and maybe start taking care of yourself? We pray for a friend or relative who doesn't know Jesus, and then maybe God is like, Well, why don't you spend some time investing with that person? Investing some time with that person. Why don't you share your faith with that person? Sometimes we might see a friend or neighbor in need. We're like, God, could you meet this need? And God's like, okay, I've given you the resources that you need. Can you meet that need? Or sometimes we pray for the victims of injustice, for the victims of slavery. And God's like, okay, how are you going to help them be free? Now don't get me wrong, God does fight for us. Sometimes we just have to stand back and watch. But often he allows us to be a part of what he's doing. And we need to take initiative to be used for his plan. We need to take action. We need to engage in the hard work of the kingdom of God. But even in that, God is the one who ultimately provides for us. And we see a number of clues in this text that indicate that God is the one who's behind the Israelites' victory. First, the first thing is that he raises up this leader named Joshua. And I find it really interesting in this passage that we don't have any introductory information whatsoever about Joshua. He just kind of appears on the scene and just Moses, uh, we just have this record of Moses telling him to prepare the armies. But what's interesting about Joshua is the name Joshua means Yahweh is salvation. And uh, Joshua is a Hebrew word, and if you translate that Hebrew word into Greek, the name is Jesus. And Joshua would, would be raised up to help lead the people to victory. And in the Old Testament, God raised up Joshua to defeat Israel's enemies, but in the New Testament, God raised up Jesus, the salvation of God to defeat mankind's enemies. So we see that God raises up this deliverer or this leader to guide them but we also see that God empowers them we see that Moses and Aaron and a person named her which we don't know a lot about of goes to the top of the hill and he raises up his hands with the staff of God in his hands and when he raises up his hands the Israelites are winning the battle but when he lowers his hands the Israelites are losing the battle now if you've been tracking with us for a while. We've talked a lot about the staff of God and the staff of God is something that God used as kind of a symbol of his power and his authority. And we see that a number of times in this Exodus story that he, that Moses stretches out his staff or stretches out his hand in order to confer the power of God. For example, when he did the When God brought the plagues upon Egypt, most of those plagues, God indicated to Moses, stretch out your hand or stretch out your staff, and this plague will come upon the earth. We see that with uh, the parting of the Red Sea, God says, stretch out your staff and the waters will part. When God provides water for the Israelites, he says, strike the rock and water will come out of the rock. And so this staff is a symbol of God's power and God's authority. And it is so important that, the, that Aaron and Hur put a stone for Moses to, to sit on. And they raise his hands up and hold his hands up so that the Israelites might win the battle. And I think what God is trying to teach the people is though, that even though you're fighting, unless you're fighting with me, you're going to lose. Unless I'm the power that's behind your fighting, you're going to fail. He's trying to show them that you're helpless unless I'm fighting with you. And so we see that God is the power behind the behind their forces. He's the one that gives them the victory, even though they're fighting, even though they have swords and are fighting in hand-to-hand combat. He's the one who gives them the victory. But we see one other thing that's interesting in this passage. In the passage, we see that after the battle is over, that Moses builds an altar, and he calls the altar, the Lord is my banner. And then he says, the Lord is my banner, saying, a hand upon the banner of the Lord. Now You might look in your text, in the ESV, it says, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. And you'll see a little footnote there. In my Bible, it says a three. It might say a different number in your Bible. And it says at the bottom, a slight change would yield upon the banner. And so most likely what is being indicated here, the author originally intended, was that it was talking about a banner. It could be a throne, but it's most likely a banner. But when we talk about banners, we think about maybe advertising banners, banners that, you know, advertise an event or whatnot. But a banner was really something that was more akin to a flag that we might think about today. Banners were used in warfare and had a number of different functions. They would unify a group together and they would kind of be a rallying point for a group. Uh, battles in the ancient world were extremely chaotic. Once a battle would break out, people would just be running around with swords. There'd be arrows flying in the air. And sometimes people kind of lose their orientation about which where they were or what side they were on. And so like this banner would kind of kind of give them their bearings. So like if the banner, if they saw the banner fleeing, that was a sign, okay, we need to flee. Or if the banner was advancing, it was like, okay, we need to advance and attack. And what would often happen would be, there, the banner would be, have a pole, and then on top of the pole there would be some object. And the object would often represent a particular god or deity. And many people believe that because they were bringing this banner into the battle, it was a symbol of them bringing their god into the battle. And because they were bringing their god into the battle, they were going to be assured of the victory. The Egyptians especially would break up their armies into different groups. And each group would have their own banner. And these banners often represent the the different gods of the Egyptians. They might be represented by a bird, or a snake, a fish. They'd be representations of that particular deity. Yet Moses says here, the Lord is my banner. He's the one that we rally upon. He's the one that we bring into victory and who gives us the victory. He's the one who gives us strength. You see, whereas sometimes God... We're like, just do this for me. Sometimes on the opposite hand of the spectrum, we just try to take things into our own hands and try to do it all by ourselves. And God is not calling us to either one or the other. He's not calling us always to just stand back and say, God, just do it and just pray and say, God, you do what you want to do. But in the same token, he's not calling us to just go out and start doing our own things and saying, okay, I'm doing this for God, and God, will you bless what I'm doing? God calls us to do what He's called us to do in His strength, under His banner, with His power. He wants us to realize that our effort and our strength in and of itself is nothing unless He is behind it. Psalm 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. That doesn't mean we pull out of the battle. It doesn't mean we just say, okay, God will take care of it. It doesn't also mean that we just take control and say, God, I'm going to do it by myself. It means that we trust God to bring us the victory. I think the Apostle Paul strikes a helpful balance for us in 1 Corinthians 1 28 to 29. In that passage, he says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. So Paul says, I'm struggling, I'm toiling, I'm working for the sake of the gospel, but I'm doing it with the strength and the power that only God can give me. I'm doing it with His strength and with His power. God not only wants to fight for us, but He also wants to fight with us. But He wants us to do it under His banner, under His power. And so as believers, we need to rally around the banner that is Christ. We need to rally around Him as we go out and show love to the world and do what He's called us to do. And when I say fight, I'm not talking a military kind of fight, but fighting for the things that matter. Fighting for love, fighting for justice, fighting for the gospel. Throughout our nation's history... Uh, The American flag has been something that has been kind of a rallying point that Americans have kind of rallied around. We might even say it's kind of like a banner. It represents American strength, resolve, authority, heritage. And as children, many of us pledged allegiance to the flag. That no matter where we were or what uh, we might look like, we all rally around that one fact that we're Americans. This has been kind of important since the early days of our country's history. Our national anthem is kind of driven around the idea of the flag as a banner or something that we rally upon. The opening stanza of the uh, national anthem says, Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light What so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming Whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight or the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming? And the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. Oh, say does that star-spangled banner yet wave over the land of the free and the home of the brave. Francis Scott Key, as he was writing this uh, song, saw this battle going on, and he saw the flag waving despite the battle, that the flag was still standing. And so as Americans, we've rallied around that flag. And there's a story that comes from uh, Senator John McCain where he shares a story about people rallying around that idea or that banner of the flag. He says, in the final years of our imprisonment, the North Vietnamese moved us from small cells with one or two prisoners to large rooms with as many as 30 or 40 men to a room. We preferred this situation for the companionship and strength we could draw from our fellow prisoners. In addition to moving us to new quarters, our captors also let us receive packages and letters from home. Many men received word from their families for the first time in several years. The improved conditions were a result of public pressure put on the North Vietnamese by the American public. He says, In our cell was one naval officer, Lieutenant Commander Mike Christian. Over a period of time, Mike had gathered bits and pieces of red and white cloth from various packages. Using a piece of bamboo he had fashioned into a needle, Mike sewed a United States flag on the inside of his shirt, one of the blue pajama tops we all wore. Every night in our cell, Mike would put his shirt on the wall and we would say the Pledge of Allegiance. I know that the Pledge of Allegiance may not be the most important aspect of our day now, but I can tell you that at that time was the most important aspect of our lives. He says, this has been going on for some time until one of the guards came in as we were reciting our pledge. They ripped the flag off the wall and dragged Mike out. He was beaten for several hours and then thrown back into the jail cell. Later that night, as we were settling down to sleep on the concrete slabs that were our beds, I looked over to the spot where the guards had thrown Mike. There, under the solitary light bulb hanging from the ceiling, I saw Mike, still bloody and his face swollen beyond recognition. Mike was gathering bits and pieces of cloth together and he was sewing a new American flag. As believers, we need to fight, we need to work for God's kingdom, but we need to be that devoted, that dedicated, that faithful to the flag to the banner of our faith, Jesus Christ. Believing that He's the one who works through us. Believing that He's the one who empowers us. Trusting that He's the only one who can bring the victory. God not only wants to fight for us, but He also wants to fight with us. But He wants to do so under His banner. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You that You're a good Father who loves us, who cares for us. And we thank You that you allow us to be a part of what you're doing in this world, that you consider us so valuable and so important, that you choose to work with us to accomplish your purposes, even though we know you could do it all on your own, that you don't need us, but you allow us to be a part of what you're doing. God, I pray that as we seek to do what's right, to seek to love people with your love, seek to eradicate injustice in the world, seek to allow your kingdom to Permeate this world. God, I pray that we would, on the one hand, not just wait for you to act, to say, God, you just do it and, and, and remove any responsibility from us. But on the other hand, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't go in our own strength, that we'd only go in your power and your might. Lord, I pray that as we go, as we leave this place today, as we go to our jobs, as we go to our relationships, As we go to do all the things that we do, Lord, I pray that we would do them under Your banner. We would do them with intention, with purpose. That we would live our lives for the sake of the gospel and the sake of the things that You've called us to do. And Lord, we pray that you give us the strength, give us the power, give us the wisdom, lead us to the place You'd have us to go. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.